Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And so today, by popular demand, um, I've had a lot of feedback from our segment that we did with Jamie Devine, president of the South Carolina School Board Association. So Mr. Devine agreed to come back to continue the conversation. And so today I hope that for as much feedback that I got, I really hope that you guys will take the time to call in and ask your questions. He's here today for that um, because he wants to continue this dialogue. And we want to help our school, our state school system to be better than it was on yesterday. So, you know, we we have to do our part. Um, And I'm grateful that he's, you know, back again. And I also want to thank my panel with me, my host, -host, co-host, Minister Margot Williams, and also school psychologist Capri Shea White. I thank you, ladies, for sticking it out with me this month. And so, Mr. Devine, welcome back. Thank you, and it's good to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion on this evening. Okay, okay. Well, um, let's get into it. I know that one of the big topics, and you and I have discussed this, um, that was really um, where people were calling back was the whole um, decision where the school boards make a recommendation in order for teachers that's suspending the teacher's license for a year. Um, That was a really sore topic, Um, you know, because you have people who are passionate about teaching different things and events happen in their lives, and then they have to leave. And so knowing that, you know, at the point where you have to leave, now your professional license is being threatened, um, it, it leaves a really bad feeling. And so for me, and this is just coming from me and Minister Margot and um, Capricia, you guys can chime in as well. Um, I feel like we want people that want to be in the classroom teaching our children. We don't want anybody to feel like they have been bullied into staying. And we don't really want a disgruntled employee staying because they don't want their license suspended. So um, I know that you have the law and you'll be able to read that. But I want to kind of get Minister Margot's feedback on that because she is in the classroom. So specifically, what is your question for me? So specifically, what is your take as far as school boards um, recommending 
that a teacher's license be suspended um, if they have to leave, say, an event with their contract, they have to end their contract. What, what is your take on that? Well, I understand the reasoning behind it, however. I don't believe that it really is a fair type of um decision for them to make and because for various reasons people leave and just what you said you would not want someone to be in a classroom and they're um, they really don't want to be there but because of repercussions such as that you know that would cause them to stay because when I look at it it's very difficult for me to say um, that that is good and or bad because I understand we're looking at such a deficit with teachers already, and we know that when people are desperate, they do des you know they take desperate right. measures. Mm-hmm. So um, I really, I really don't know how to answer that truthfully because okay. I understand it from both sides of right. it, but mm-hmm. I'm very sensitive to the view of a of a teacher because many times people leave. Um, They'll leave for other opportunities. They'll leave because of family situations, that all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I do believe that it, it's it's difficult to rationalize um, that it's okay, that that should be the thing to happen because who wants to turn down an opportunity for something that could be better, you know, in your personal life? Right. Right. Um, you know, so it's... It, that's just that's a hairy question for me because I can see both mm-hmm. sides of it. Right. And I can understand it being a case-by-case, case, you know, case-by-case case basis. I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, of course, if something egregious happened, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely yeah. understand. Um, but just to make it a normal process, because as we know, life happens to all of us. Um, Capriche, I'd like to hear your take on that because if I'm not mistaken, that applies this this. Um, we're talking about teachers, but district-wide, I think that kind of that recommendation can be for different positions that people have in the district. Absolutely. So I can just give you a personal, speak from personal experience. This actually happened to me um, this year where I pretty much had to make a decision, a financial decision that was best for my family at the time, and I literally had to fight to get out of my contract, and I was threatened, you know, that my license would be taken up to the board, but I just kind of had to do it on a woman to prayer and just pray that, you know, they didn't send my license, but I know for many staff members, that's a scary thing to know that, you know, you have to make a financial decision for your family, but you're so, you know, taking the risk of not being able to practice at all and put yourself in more financial hardship. But it was just something I had to pray on and just God said move, so I had to do it. And best decision I could have made. Wow. Wow. So, Mr. Devine, I want you to yes, chime ma'am. in. And I know that you have um, the information that you wanted, you know, to read as well. So okay. um, your take after, you know, after having, you know, numerous discussions and everything with with this topic? So a couple things. Going back to what Ms. 
Ms. White, correct? Say again? Yes. Yeah. yeah, going back to what Ms. White said, and going back to what okay. she said, um, Tyra, too, each um, um, certificate um, dealing with the certificate is, uh, is on a case-by-case basis. Uh, staff does look at those uh, carefully, and uh, staff does ensure that we have a highly qualified teacher in each classroom. Um, going back to Minister Margo, I see both sides of it. Um, from the school district's perspective, I am now losing an employee um, who is in the classroom. I now have to find a suitable replacement for that person, and so uh, that may take some time. Um, if we've been in education long enough, um, I can remember when um, teachers um, were plenty, and we could replace within a week or two you know, if Ms. White left today and she said, hey, I got a better opportunity, um, here's my two-week notice, most likely most school boards at that point would have said, okay, no problem, we can find a super replacement within a week. And, you know, you go to job fairs, there's a line around the corner um, for people to get into education. But that's not the case now. Uh, I do remember those times. And so now that those times have changed, um, it is a challenge um, for school districts um, across the state, across the country, to get educators um, into the classroom uh, for various reasons. And so we want to make sure that each classroom has a highly qualified teacher. And so this is a last, let me be clear, this is a last step um, in the process uh, before we, you know, have to release someone. And I did want to bring back the uh, state law and the regulation. Um, there are two that pertain to this um, topic, and you can uh, look it up. It's under the South Carolina um, um, Professional uh, Personnel Regis uh, Resignation uh, Regulation 43-206, where it says, um, and I'll just read maybe the first sentence or two. I, don't, I won't uh, read, right. read the entire thing, but... Um, this has been in effect since 1976. Any teacher who fails to comply with the provisions of his or her contract without the written consent of the school board shall be deemed guilty of professional conduct. A breach of conduct resulting from the execution of employment contract with another board within the state without the consent of the board first employing the teacher makes void any subsequent contract with any other school district in South Carolina for the same employment period. So that kind of sends, um, I guess, the, the calls for the resignation and why we do sometimes um, school boards do what, what they do. Um, that's one, that's, 40, that's regulation uh, 43-206. There's another regulation, 43-58.1, uh, which talks about reporting of terminations of school district employees. And this basically says state board policy, um, a district superintendent on behalf of the local board of education shall return, shall, I'm sorry, shall report, shall report to the chair of the state board of education and the state superintendent of education the name and certificate number of any certified educator who is dismissed, resigns, or is otherwise separated from employment with the district based on allegations of misconduct, including but not limited to uh, involving drugs, sexual misconduct, 
the commission of a crime, immorality, moral turpitude, or dishonesty that is reasonably believed by the district superintendent to constitute grounds for revocation or suspension of the certificate based on the educator by the state of by the state board. So that's just a brief <coughs> sentence, uh, first two sentences of each of those regulations, and that's the law that we deal with as school board members across the state um, to ensure that we keep in compliance with uh, the state board and what they require. Um, now, if we don't do that, um, the state department could um, cause a deficit to our accreditation, and we definitely don't want that. Um, we need all of our school districts accredited, and we don't want to be placed on any type of uh, status of probation uh, from the Department of Education. So, um, so, so, so that's really where that comes from. Regulation 43-58.1 and 43-206. Okay. And now you said that, that this was a policy from, you said, 1976? Correct. Code of Laws of South Carolina, 1976. Yes, ma'am. So do you guys go through a, the, the, ooh, excuse me, go through any type of process where you, like, relook at any of those regulations now, as the years change? As, so as the state regulations, I mean, with, Do we with look state, at that? So, so you got two. So you got two boards. I'm not on the state board. The state board is is the board that deals with uh, our current um, um, not secretary, our current um, state the state superintendent of education under Miss uh, mm -hmm. Spearman. Um, I forget okay. who the current board chair is. It used to be Mike Brennan from BBNT, a truest. Um, I forget who the current state chair of the okay. state board is. Okay. Okay. So they would um, be the ones who who review that, and also I think on today they reviewed um, some of these um, requests from school districts regarding teacher terminations um, today as, as well. They typically mm -hmm. do it on the uh, I guess today's the third Tuesday. I think they do it on the third Tuesday of each each month. Okay. Okay. Um, Mr. Devine, we have a question, so I'm going to open it up for a caller, and then I do have um, a question or two that has been sent to me. So I'm getting ready to open the mic for caller 5375. Give me one second. Um, hi, everyone. Um, since we're talking about regulations and policies and procedures, Mr. Devine, I have a question, and it may um, – and it pertains to basically special education right about now. We have a shortage of teachers, and where are we with, um, like, a, if you, we need to evaluate a student. And the process to evaluate, initial evaluation, once we get in all the paperwork, then we take 60 days, but there's a shortage of teachers. Where we are in South Carolina for is um, closing that because children in special ed are not receiving the services Due to we may not have a special ed teacher, are we ready to prepare? Are we prepared for this, for, a, you know, a lack of teachers? So what are we doing with the evaluation process and making sure special ed students are receiving free and appropriate education according to their um, IEP, the outline of their IEP? So I'm going to, if you don't mind, um, 
Give me the question again. How, how mm -hmm. long? We, so your basic question is, can we reduce the amount of time to 60 days? No, uh, that's federal. We really can't reduce that. No, my basic question is, what are we doing or how are we going to um, service kids with special needs, special ed? We have teachers leaving left and right, but kids with special needs are still entitled to their services. Outlined according to their IEP, individual educational plan. But since so many teachers are exiting the um, the field of teaching, how are we servicing our special ed students? That's that is so. Let me let me be clear. That is a very that's a great question. Um, I don't have any specific answers on tonight. If you don't mind, let me go back to a couple of our superintendents, ask them that uh, specific question, and let me get a response back to you. If that's okay. Oh, and I really appreciate that. Um, it is a broad question, and it would have to come from our area superintendents. What are they mm -hmm. facing with uh, this problem of educating? You know, is anybody looking out or thinking about the kids and the services? Because right now that's a federal mandate. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I can share with you just from a 30,000-foot view, um, as we were told specifically in our district, um, last year and in 2020 when the pandemic first happened, um, as everybody had to pivot to do uh, uh, virtual learning, um, I know that some of our staff went to, um, with permission, of course, of the parent, did go to some of the um, um, uh, uh, students' houses to give them the services that was needed. Um, I do know that um, some of our students, some of the parents, um, uh, did the tele, not telehealth, I guess telelearning, um, or mm -hmm. did the Zoom with the with the um, with the with the teacher, kind of one on one. Um, I do know that that happened, um, but I understand your your question. What are we going to do for the future? Because I many folks are leaving, and again, I will get you a response to that. But those mm -hmm. are just some of the things that I know. Again, thirty thousand feet that we dealt with, and some of the ways that we dealt with with those um, students. Uh, during during that time. Okay. And that's um, fair enough. Carla, what I would like for you to do also, um, I don't know if you have another question, but what I would like for you to do also so that Mr. Devine would be able to respond back to you, if you could um, inbox me on Facebook or on um, Instagram, <laughs> and I'll make sure that once he responds, I'll get that directly to you, and then I, maybe I, I can put a post or something mm -hmm. on the social media with him with the response to what your answer to what your question is. Now, did you have Most another definitely. question before I go to anything else? No, for right now. Okay. Because I was working on um, some consulting work with that, so I just okay. wanted to know where we are with that, but I'm good. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate you calling in. Okay. Um, Mr. Devine, I got a question that was text or emailed to me. Um, so here's a scenario. It says, um, the person says, I know of two teachers who were retaliated against by their principal because of their criticism of the school to the district official. There is no way for me to report that information without myself getting in trouble. 
what would you tell teachers and other staff to do in those situations? Another great, another great question. Um, what I would do is, and we've had, um, we've not had any retaliation that we know of. Let me say that, or that I know of, and and just across the, the state, as I talk to different um, staff about different things within a school, um, uh, you can always uh, send a note to to the board. A lot of times, um, we get either anonymous notes or we get a note with the person's name, name on it who is willing to um, state what the problem is and then possibly what the solution um, should be. So um, I, would, I would suggest that if they don't feel comfortable talking with, with the principal, the, mm -hmm. in Richmond 1, I don't know how it is in other school districts, um, you may have an area supervisor or area superintendent or deputy superintendent that you could go to that's above the principal, I would write him or her a note, uh, and then I will go to the superintendent, and then after the superintendent, then come to the board. But some people go directly to the board. Uh, we are obligated, once we um, receive notice of something, we're obligated to have it investigated, and then we will um, report the findings as appropriate to, to, to that person or to appropriate authorities if, if, if needed. Okay. Great. Thank you so much for responding to that. Um, okay, I have another question here. Uh, this one says, the legislature is considering allowing schools to hire up to 25% uncertified teachers per school next year. What is your position on that bill? So hmm. uh, that bill will actually come up, I believe it's tomorrow or Thursday. Um, right now, we require all of in, in public education, we require everyone to be, you know, certified. I would suggest mm -hmm. that we keep that. I know this is really leaning towards private schools and charter schools, which have some more leeway than public schools. Um, and I'm not a proponent of private dollars going to public schools. So my position, you know, at this point would be that we keep the same requirements that we have um, with our um, with 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 our public schools at this point. Now, if I get some additional information, that may change. But as of right now, uh, that's that's where I'm at on that question. Okay. Okay. Um, Capriche, do you have um, a question? I do, and this question is coming from a fellow school psychologist, and she wanted to know, do you feel like if the decisions you make are of benefit for all students within the district? If yes, how so? So when, um, when we make decisions, um, and it's based off the information that is received uh, typically from the um, from 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 senior staff, uh, pretty much the superintendent, deputy superintendent, um, the cabinet members. So when we make those decisions, um, we have to use what I call uh, value judgment. And value judgment is that we value the judgment of our staff. Um, you know, some things are um, routine, which you know, really doesn't come to the board 
Some things are, um, you know, staff made a decision, and then they informed the board afterwards, and that's okay. Uh, some things is that the administration would like to hear from us before they make a decision, particularly as it pertains to COVID. They want to hear from the board because the board represents their community, and so uh, the board and the administration made some um, decisions together. Then some things required by law to take final action on, um, in that case, again, the board respects the judgment of the administration, and we hold them accountable for uh, for that decision. And so, um, yes, the answer to the basic question, yes, all decisions should be uh, to affect all children in whatever circumstance that, that, that is applied to. Okay. And I have another question for you. If you look at the demographics of this district, how would you go about effectively distributing equity in education, not equality? Um, great question. Um, we have looked at all of our policies first. Uh, we took a year, last year, uh, 2021, to um, look at all of our policies um, from Section A to Section, I think, L or K. Um, throughout the district to ensure that all of our students uh, get what they need, not just students, but also uh, personnel, uh, and then also with the community. We have some policies that um, deals with equity um, with our community as well. Um, again, we, we look at um, all of the aspects of, of policymaking um, throughout, throughout, the entire, um, throughout, throughout the entire district. And so going forward, um, we've agreed that every two to three years or so, uh, we should look at all of our um, policies, particularly those that pertain to equity. Um, we want to ensure that all of our students and teachers get what they need um, going forward. And let me give you for example, um, we have choice now in uh, public education, a more choice. We've always had choice. We have even more choice in public education. Uh, those students that want to go to uh, a particular area, um, let's just say health science, uh, we have that particular um, uh, program at C. Johnson High School. They have an opportunity to go into health science. And we have a, a student that want to go into the National Baccalaureate. They have that actually at two schools, uh, Laura Richland High School as well as um, AC Flora. We have um, our uh, Finance Academy, our Cyber uh, Security Academy also at Columbia High. So, again, you have choices within schools, so that's the equity that you see there. Uh, we have students that will travel um, across the district um, that may go to Hayward Career Center, which we have the first diesel technology uh, mechanic pro program east of the Mississippi um, that we started several years ago. Um, so those are some of the equity things I see as, as, a, as it pertains to students um, going forward because we – and also – we have dual enrollment for our, for our students. We have students now that graduate not only with a high school diploma, but also with um, uh, an associate's degree. And really that's economic development. In other words, it now gives our students a competitive, competitive advantage to ensure that they graduate with two years of college. Now instead of going to school as a freshman, now they may enter as a sophomore. They may only now pay for two years of school versus four years of school, which is a great economic advantage for our, for our students so that they can now have less student loans going into 
into life as as they start start off. So those are some of the equity things that I see um, going forward. Okay. Someone has some background noise going on. So if you can mute your phone, I don't know who it is, but someone someone's phone is making a lot of noise in the background. I don't know if you if there's someone else in the room with you. Um, Jane, I have a quick question for you, <clears throat> and I don't know. First, let's back up for a second. Miss White, do you have another question, or was your question answered? That was all of the questions that I had. I'm probably going to circle back around to something, but go ahead and ask your question. Okay, okay. Um, Jamie, there was something that you said. Um, you talked about the programs that was at two, two of the high schools? Yes, ma'am. What's the name of that program again? So each of our high schools have what we call um, uh, school school choice, or uh, choices within the school. So mm-hmm. at C.A. Johnson high, high School, we, we call it our health magnet program, where um, students will learn about sports medicine, the field of medicine, um, the field of health in general. We did a survey several years ago, and we know, and according to all the recent surveys, that health, um, the healthcare field is going to be a, a, a good field to go into in the near future. So we planned some years ago to have a health uh, magnet program at C.A. Johnson High School. Uh, it's one of uh, several throughout the district. I mean, I'm sorry, throughout the state. I know Irmo uh-huh. has one. Lex Five. I know Richmond Two has one. I think at Ridgeview um, as well. And so it's a program, you know, that 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 students can go into the health magnet program. Um, right. So that wasn't that wasn't it, Jamie. It was. Um, gosh, I think it's the program. The National Baccalaureate program. Right. What are because there's two schools for that, correct? That has that 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 utilizes correct. that program. It's and so, Lower what are Richland, the? Uh huh. Lower Richland High School. Uh huh. And uh, AC Flora High School. Okay. So out of the, with those two schools, and I don't know if you have these numbers in front of you. How many kids are actually participating in that program? And then um, how many students have actually successfully completed that program? Um, I have that information. I just can't put my hands on it right this minute. But um, I can get it for you. I I don't know off the top of my head. Um, I will say that Laura Riston has uh, the newer IB program, uh, AC Floor has been um, in um, has been in effect for uh, uh, several years now. Um, mm-hmm. So I would imagine, off the top of my head, the AC Floor would probably have more students. However, we're building the program at Laura Richland High School. We even have a middle school component um, that goes along with that because we felt that was important to ensure that uh, students, when they uh, get to middle school, that they continue on that track to the high school level as well. Okay. So now, is this is this a program that is actually, um, like, advertised to where, because I know, like, when you have the school of choice and everything, that parents that are outside, children that are outside of the district, are they able to participate in that or in that particular program? You know, that's another great question. I am not sure uh, of that specific program. Um, mm-hmm. I just I, I just don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, I do know that from time to time students do transfer in from other schools 
uh, to access some of our programs. Um, I just don't have a specific, you know, answer for for okay. that one. Okay, that's fair. Okay, um, Minister Margo, I think you have some questions as well. I do have a question. Um, okay. Concerning substitute teachers, I'd like to know um, what are the true who determines the qualification for substitute teachers and. Is there some type of evaluation process for them? Because we have so many substitutes now, and my concern is that many of them are there for extended periods of time. And what is the, how can we ensure that there's actually teaching going on in the classroom and not mm. um, just someone to monitor? So who, That's another, who determines? Okay. Um, pretty much that is a um, administrative and or uh, district um, de decision um, when it comes to substitutes. Um, we do have a policy that pertains to that. I don't know. I know it's in the G policy, which deals with personnel. I don't recall um, the um, substitute um policy, but there is a policy that pertains to that, and then pretty much uh, the administration deals with that as well as the um, evaluation of, of said staff as well. So are you saying oh. that that's something that's determined um, district by district or school by school? District by district. Okay. Because... You know, for example, once, and I'm just throwing this out, I'm not saying this is this is totally fact, but one district may pay, you know, may, may have a difference in pay. You know, you have short-term mm -hmm. subs, you have long-term long -term subs who may be qualified. You may have a teacher who retired uh, last year who the district said, hey, can you come back and teach this class again for us? The person who took your spot is going to be out on medical leave for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. We know that classroom is covered by a qualified, uh, licensed, yeah. um, certified teacher who can continue teaching in that particular classroom as though nothing happened. Uh, we may have in the classroom, um, you know, those persons with college degrees. Some may not have college degrees. Um, it's not always, you know, sometimes we see on TV or out on social media, oh, it's just a warm body in the class and the teacher leaves, you know, notes for the substitute. A lot of times we have uh, retirees or former educators who do come back and who do sub um, for our schools, uh, and not just the rest of one, but across the state, who come back mm -hmm. and help our, our schools because they feel led or they feel it's a calling, and I'm putting calling in, quote, in quotations, to ensure that students have a qualified uh, educator in front of them to teach them um, each and every day. Mm -hmm. Well, and I agree with you. I mean, at my school, we have a, a teacher who is 72 years old who retired from a school district, uh, and she relocated and began subbing for, um, it was a long-term sub because the teacher passed away. And um, she was offered to stay and apply for full-time if she wanted to, and she's been teaching for the past three years, and she's now 72 years old and wow. can keep up and is healthy and everything. And, you know, that that's a great situation, but my concern has been those who are not 
qualified um, in terms of having an understanding of much of the protocol in a classroom and truly being able to help um, the students with whatever the, you know, whatever the content is. So that's why I was asking that question because it's, it's um, although my children are grown, I still have this, this focus on the families who have their children in our district in particular that perhaps their children are not receiving all that they need to because of our circumstances and the way things are being done, you know, today. Right. So real quick, I did find the policy. In our manual, it is um, policy GCG, which talks about substitutes. Um, original mm -hmm. one substitute must be uh, 21 years of age, have at least 60 semester hours of college credit. Um, those mm -hmm. who meet this standard uh, may be approved as a substitute upon review and approval by the Chief Human Resources Officer. And this is, again, as you know, this is the importance of having um, educators still at the table. And because of COVID, you know, that's been uh, mm -hmm. exacerbated. So we want to make sure that we get uh, those persons who are definitely qualified to be in the classroom uh, and not just a warm, again, not just a warm body in the classroom, um, but again, we want to. That's that's the basic requirement, and then there's some other uh, training that comes along with that, particularly um, with our long-term subs. Um, we, and according to to our um, our rule, the administration require long-term subs to be certified whenever possible. If we can't get a, a certified person um, um, uh, in the classroom, we most definitely will bring someone in who is. Um, who is highly qualified to uh, to be there. But we do our best to continue to train those persons, provide some type of um, continuing education, or just some type of um, onboarding, if you will, when it comes to um, uh, letting them know our um, stance as a as a district and where we are and where we where we would like for them to uh, to be and to participate. Okay. Great, great. So, Jamie, uh, when I was asking you the question <clears throat> in reference to how is the program being um, put out to where other people are aware of the program and then asking about students that are not in the district, I got a response to that. And the response that came in, it stated, um, students within the district probably can go, but students outside of the district have to pay. I would agree with that. Um, mm -hmm. However, uh, mm -hmm. there are opportunities where, um, you know, for the most part, that's, that's an accurate statement. I'm going to leave that there. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. right, right. So on, the, on our website, and I'm sorry I don't have it up in front of me, um, okay. each, each year around this time, December, January, we start planning for the new year. Um, we have, um, of course, the teacher recruitment fairs. We have uh, where we talk about um, choice, um, the magnet programs. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the magnet application is now open. Uh, in Richmond 1, December 13th to January 31st, 2022. So those who need to apply, um, we ask that they start applying there now. We have various programs, um, from career awareness magnet, Montessori elementary magnet, language immersion magnet. We have pre-kindergarten classes. 
and our virtual school program um, as well. Um, and then that travels up to the high schools where we have, again, those same classes that we talked about earlier, as well as we have two um, charter schools in Richland One as well, the Richland One Middle College and um, Center for Learning um, also uh, in Richland School District One. So there's, again, a lot of options and opportunities mm -hmm. for our students. Um, that's why it is so important, in my opinion, to keep uh, public dollars in public schools. Uh, I think you're seeing a little more equity and diversity in offerings um, in school districts and not just in Richmond one, but across the state of South Carolina because I believe we realize now that we can't uh, do school schooling the way we used to do it. Uh, we need to reimagine education. And when I say that, we need to just look at education a little differently. You know, we use what we call the old Carnegie units. Um, and Carnegie units is based off a number of hours that a person sits and gets information. Um, the old sit and get uh, information isn't isn't um, the way of the future. Uh, I believe that students should um, have project-based and career-based opportunities uh, to learn um, about what it is that they want to learn. And in addition to, to that, um, they need to master the content and not put everything on a, on a test score. Um, you know, it's almost like riding a, a bike. You learn to master riding the bike once you learn how to hold the bike up. Then you learn to balance. Then you learn how to turn left, how to turn right. Then you, you know, then you, then you pedal slowly. You know, it's it's that mastery of learning how to ride a bike. So that's the way that I see education going in the future. Um, <laughs> we've changed furniture uh, now. You know, you go to some schools. Some schools look like a Starbucks um, cafe. The way they have the setup, they have the tall <laughs> bar stools and tall chairs. So um, schooling is going to look different in the future. So again, we got to reimagine education and what that look, looks like. So I'll stop there. I'm sorry, I get a little okay. passionate. With <laughs> well, I, I have another question that came in, um, yes. and it says choice is a good option, but it's still based on acceptance. So not everyone gets in. So to the equity question, do they expand the number of acceptance? So students are eligible based on um, uh, attendance zones, uh, based on um, um, it's kind of almost first come first serve. Some are a lottery process, which is a random computerized um, selection process. Um, again, everybody can't get in because we don't have the X amount of slots. For example, I remember when we started with Montessori several years ago. Montessori Middle School, we had uh, probably um, 15 students in middle school Montessori um, because some of the students did not want to leave our elementary Montessori and go to the um, uh, middle school Mon Montessori, and we spent well over a million dollars for 14 kids at the time. Uh, but now that program has grown tremendously um, in, in our middle school Montessori. i love for us to, to, to build our first Montessori high school. Um, um, transportation is provided. That is one equity piece that we have, unlike some other districts across the state, where you have to provide your own transportation to get to a particular um, pro program. And then we also look at where the program goes, um, so it is equitable across um, across the district. And again, you are right. Everybody can't go in because you only have X amount of slots because you get X amount of dollars 
and then once the program is up, you have to maintain that program based off the number of personnel, based off of the uh, number of, uh, of, uh, of, of students who want to participate um, kind of going forward. Okay. So then I guess as far as um, the person's actual question of, let's see, do they expand the number of acceptance? So if, I guess it's kind we, of more. Mm-hmm, go ahead. So if we get additional requests, the, the the administration has to go back and look at that, and then they'll come to the board and say, uh, you know, board, we've seen, you know, for example, language immersion. Language immersion was a small program that started about five, six years ago because these students are now fifth graders going into middle school because we would like to add a language immersion middle school piece. Staff is looking at that now as well as, you know, uh, dealing with, 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 with some COVID um, dialysis and, and protocol um, so that, you know, going forward we can see how, how, um, how the two can work together. So if, if those students who are graduating now would like a middle school program and the parents and the students, you know, ask us to uh, help, we definitely um, um, will try to um, um, provide it. However, as you know, funding is 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 going to be something that we need to take a look, look at. Again, this is why we got to keep public dollars in public schools. Uh, our language immersion program has grown tremendously. I don't know the number of students, but we we are building on to Carver Lion Elementary because we've had such an explosion of of students who want to be in a language immersion program, and and particularly students from that particular area has embraced it and they are participants in the program. And so we've had to add on. We had I think a number of um, those portable trailers. Um, mm-hmm. out in the back of the school for several years, and, and we voted some time ago um, to expand the school, and now we're building an additional building on the grounds to house the language immersion um, pro- program. But, again, okay. funding is going to be so vital to keep not just language immersion but our career preparation, our health magnet pro- program, uh, and, and even going forward, the virtual school um, program and these other programs that we have across the district. Great, great, great. So, Jamie, I guess at this point what I want to ask you, um, you know, I thank you for coming back on, um, but as a community, what can we do, one, to help teachers get more money, and two, I want you to let us know how the community can become more involved um in the school board meetings, um, what can we do to help you all to make sure that our children across the state of South Carolina get the education that they need? Tell us what you guys need from us. So I'll start with um, I'll start with with uh, teachers. Um, we're all elected. Uh, you, uh, you all elect us as school board members. You all elect your county council members. You all elect your state house representative members, and you all elect your state senators um, as well. I would encourage you to write, email, or call all of these um, other persons who are mm-hmm. responsible from a state level 
Um, we're just a not just we're a political subdivision of the state. School boards are across the state. We're a political mm-hmm. subdivision of the state, which in turn means that the state um, funds us. We typically um, need to we typically get about 24 to 26 percent of the state's revenue should go to public education. Um, I do have in front of me uh, our 2022 legislative platform, which um, we presented to our state legislators. Um, we had a uh, delegation, a Richland County delegation meeting scheduled, but um, the House met back in December to talk about COVID mandates, and so we did not have that meeting. Uh, getting with Representative Howard to uh, have that meeting hopefully here soon. But one of the things that we talk about, again, is funding. Let me just give you a live number. Um, the current For the current fiscal year 2022, the base student cost is $2,516, which is the fiscal year 2008 level, when it should be about $3,140 for fiscal year 2022. So right now we're being underfunded about six to $700 um, from our state, just from our state. And there's some, then, then, then there, there's some additional formulas um, and also lottery money that we are not receiving um, fully um, at this time, uh, because mm. some money, some funds are being di- di- diverted uh, for vouchers and for charter schools. So I would definitely say let's advocate on the state level. Then secondly, uh, county council members, because a portion of their budget um, goes to the school district as, as well. Um, mm. Then thirdly, I would say that um, parents are always involved through PTO and SIC. Um, mm-hmm. They can always be involved uh, from that level, and we, of course, uh, invite them to participate. Um, I believe PTO came about um, in the Children's Education Act of 2000, um, and so we highly encourage parents to do, to do that. Now, those of us that may not have children in school, may have graduated, uh, or may not have children yet to go to school, uh, you can always come. I can speak for Richland 1 and Richland 2. We meet every second and fourth Tuesdays of the month. Um, you can always express um, um, how you feel about public education um, and how you think education should be. Um, and so those are just a few ways um, for the community to be involved to help us um, increase awareness as to what is going on as well. Also, okay. let me add this. We talked about this last week at our school board meeting. Um, we have increased our um, visibility uh, because we had a strategic plan several years ago that said we needed more visibility as a district, and so we now have billboards. We now send three mailings uh, home or uh, to our households in Richmond School District 1 footprint um, where we have, I think it's a spring um, newsletter. I think there's a summer and maybe a fall newsletter. Um, Again, all the social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram uh, is where we are. But for those who may not be on social media, you should at least three times a year get something from the district telling what we're doing, how we're spending money, and uh, kind of the happenings and what's going on in the local school district as as well. Now, is that something that's sent with the kids, or does it go out to all of the residents? All of the residents, those who may not, you know, um, have children in in school. Mm-hmm. You should be receiving um, that uh, for the winter. That should be coming out soon, probably end of the month, going into February. Typically is when it come out. We also okay. have state of the 
um, which is also um, um, where the superintendent talks about the state of the school district and where we are as a district, things that we've accomplished over the past year, then what we're looking forward to in the upcoming year. Uh, we do have three public sessions when it comes to the budget. Um, if you uh, follow me on Facebook, um, uh, go to our website. Um, you can uh, access those uh, meetings or at least know when the, when the dates are. Typically, um, February, March is when we start on, on our budget for the upcoming year, so 22-23 budget uh, is uh, probably being disseminated now within the staff, and then it comes to the board sometime in March, April, and hopefully pass it if the General Assembly passed their budget uh, by June. We hope to have our budget passed by June so we can start on July 1 of 2022. Okay. Okay. Um, Jamie, I definitely thank you. Um, I want to go around and okay. see, Minister Margo, do you have anything else that you would like to um, add or anything that you would like to leave the listeners with? No, I just want to say thank you, um, Mr. Devine, because you are very thorough, mm -hmm. and um, I believe that you're excellent at what you're doing. And so the people of Richland One are very, um, I think they're sitting in a good position to have you in the position that you're in, even with the state. So um, it's been it's been mm -hmm. a pleasure to to listen to you and and join in conversation. Thank you, thank you. Definitely. Ms. White? Yes, so I just wanted to circle back to the question about equity. And I know that you spoke on um, the whole idea of choice and it being like a lottery system for students to go. My thing, I would just say let's always consider with the whole choice program, all of our students won't be able to go for whatever reason they might not be chosen um, but we just have to think about what programs can we put in place where the students are to meet their needs to ensure equity. Uh, Mr. Devine, I just wanted to say thank you for your transparency. When you did not know an answer to a question, you simply was yes. honest and said that you didn't know, and I yes. truly, truly appreciate that because Absolutely. sometimes I feel like district members or school board members, they can, when they don't know the answer, they can come off as a politician. And right. I just appreciate mm -hmm. your honesty. <laughs> so right. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Ab absolutely. Jamie, I um, can't thank you enough um, for taking time out of your busy day to come back on a second time. I mean, to me, that says a lot. Um, and and it says that you're you're willing to hear what people have to say. And even though we didn't get a lot of callers, but we got different questions that had been, you know, sent to ask right. you. Um, so, you know, it lets us know. And, and from looking, you know, and just from the different feedback that I got from the first conversation, you know, people are listening. And so um, I thank you for taking the time listening to, listening to the questions, answering them. And just like um, Mrs. White said, you know, when you didn't know, you were able to say, hey, you don't know. And so that means a lot. Um, I know that, as you said mm -hmm. in the first conversation, that you'll be taking, you know, these questions back and addressing mm -hmm. your colleagues because conversations like this is needed so that we can help our children, so we can help our teachers. Um, exactly. And in order to to be a great statement, this, these, are, these are the conversations that's needed, and we have to do it so that 
we can help. You know, it's just um, again, I I can't say thank you enough. I mean, because again, you took time to come back a second time, and so to me that means a lot, and I I thank you for that. Oh, you're you're welcome. Thank you all again for inviting me. You know, I'm open and honest, just a country boy from Aiken County, born and raised, and came here to the big city of Columbia. <laughs> and um, I just believe that uh, if you do right, you sleep tight, and that um, you know, um, mm-hmm. and treat everybody right. You know, whether we disagree or whether we um, don't agree on on something, um, we need to make sure that that we sit down and just listen to each other. I may not, quote, unquote, like somebody or like something, but you know what? Now we need to um, just sit down and listen because diversity of voices make a difference because someone may say something to me that I had no idea of, but you know what? That may change my mind to now say, you know what? Now I understand that. Let's continue to move forward. And one other thing that I want to add, too, is that we got to have action, and action means that, in my opinion, we need to be at the state state house. So for it, for Absolutely. example, I cannot find the agenda for for tomorrow um, at, at eleven o'clock. The Senate's going to be talking again about this education voucher savings account, um, where again they're taking public dollars, a little over three billion dollars, and giving it to the voucher program. We need house mm. so they understand. I testified last week about it, so they understand <laughs> that. Um, we need our own money, public dollars, and to go to public schools. Now, I believe it is unconstitutional and has been proven unconstitutional when the governor tried back in October. The Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional to use that 38 or $42 million that was directed to, that he wanted to direct to us uh, private schools, and it was unconstitutional. So I believe this is the same um, type of thing that we have. I think it's in Article 6, Section 3. The U.S. of the state constitution that talks about that that talks about we should not be spending um, public dollars um, um, in public. I mean, sending public dollars to private schools. Um, And so again, I know it was Article Six, Section Three of the state constitution directs the provision for the maintenance and support of a system of free public schools open to all children in the state of South Carolina. And again, no money shall be paid from public funds nor shall the credit of the state or the public subdivision Mm -hmm. for the direct benefit of any religious or other private educational institution. And, again, I think this is unconstitutional, but we have some folks who just don't care. They're going to push it. And I think Mm -hmm. we need people like us to come up, call your representative, uh, email, just make it known. I'm sorry. I get I'm sorry. No, I mean, and, 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 and you're right, and rightfully so. So, I mean, listeners, we need to get on the horn. I mean, tonight, some fingers need to be moving. We need to be emailing. Um, and if, you, and if you're able bill, to be... Bill 935 Educational Scholarship um, Account. Uh, Senate Bill 935 Educational Scholarship Account. Senator Darrell Jackson, who is, represents Richmond County, he's not, he's not my representative, but I did call him and express mm-hmm. my concern to him that... He should be a, a no vote. And um, Senator Hutto from Orangeburg, I expressed to him, he should be a no vote as well. It's in subcommittee. Uh, I think tomorrow's the last day it'll be in subcommittee. I think it's going to move forward on a 3-2 vote um, to, uh, for, for it to pass. 
um, Senator Tallis and Senator Shane Massey out of Edgeville, and there's another senator that will probably push it forward to go to the full committee. Uh, I mean, to the to the yeah to the full committee. Then it goes to the to the Senate for a final vote. So I would encourage us to again uh, at least get with Senator Jackson and just express our concerns to him. Uh, and maybe I can email you offline. Um, okay. Tyra, just send that to you. We can put it out on face, Facebook and talk a little right. bit about the And then say, vote no for Senate Bill 935. Right. Yes. Well, mm. yeah, we, yeah we, we really need to push and make that happen, you guys, because we, we can't allow that to happen. I mean, it's already been deemed unconstitutional, and so it, it, it shouldn't come back up. But as we know, sometimes people will repackage things and send it a different way. There you um, go. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, this has been great. Um, I'm really glad that you know we're having these conversations. So um, next week, you guys, we will have Nicholas Pearson. He's the principal of Sumter High School. He will be on with us again discussing the state of education in South Carolina. So thank you all. Um, see you next week. Thank you again to my co-host, and thank you once again, Mr. Devine. I definitely appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Have a great day.